Hey guys, Ryan Dement from Chasing Happiness Podcast. I hope you guys are having a great day. Today on the podcast, we have Omar Zenholm. He is the host of the $100 MBA show. And I'm honored because he is in the top 10 in business podcasts on iTunes and across any platform that you're listening to. But his journey to get there is really cool. And he's going to share that with us today and some tips. Omar, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Ryan. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. So where are you at in the world? Australia? Yeah, Sydney, Australia is home for me now. My wife is Australian and moved out here about six years ago. So it's five, six o'clock in the morning, something later than that? Eight o'clock. Yeah, eight o'clock in the morning. But eight it's fine because I, I get up at five every day. So okay, not too early. Yeah. Cool. So before we get into your journey, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Omar. I, I started my career actually as a teacher. I was a high school and university teacher for my first 13 years as a working adult. That's where I started out. And I'm very thankful that I started there because as a teacher, I learned a lot of great skills I was able to bring into entrepreneurship and podcasting, mainly uh, communication and being able to teach a concept or explain something in a concise amount of time because that's what teachers have to do. They have a limited amount of time with their students to get them to understand a concept so they can pass their tests, so they can pass their grades, so they can move on. Their jobs are on the line. I literally did five classes a day, five days a week. That was my life. But while I was in teaching, I was building businesses or discovering entrepreneurship on the side. I was experimenting online. I had some side hustles for about 10 years. But eventually in 2012, I decided to make that leap into full-time entrepreneurship. That was scary, but fun at the same time. And in that transition, I learned how there are a lot of people in my position who want to start a business, who want to get into this business thing, but don't have the confidence or really lack the fundamentals and need just enough to get started. And that's why I started the $100 MBA, which is basically exactly what it sounds. It's a $100 MBA education. It's a course that I create and now we do it live. And basically it helps people know the basics of idea validation, of marketing, of finance, of sales, of how to hire somebody, that type of thing so that they can just go ahead and build their business. Because the truth is that you know, there is no one way to, to build a business. What works for me may not work for you, but I can give you the building block so that you can carve your own path. Uh, and that's where the $100 MBA show podcast started in August of 2014. So we've been doing this for eight years. You graciously mentioned some of our accolades and, and our achievements, but it's eight years in the making over 2000 episodes, over 230 million downloads. I, I always say I had enough reps to get it right. I had enough reps to make mistakes and to learn from my mistakes. And if you're in the game long enough and you just hang in there, good things can happen. So that's a little bit of a nutshell how I got to, to this point with our podcast. Uh, along the way as well, I have my own software company called Webinar Ninja, which is, again, rooted in my passion of teaching is helping people be able to teach and sell online. So yeah, that's me. That's really cool. And you said something that just resonates with me. My other podcast, Chasing Financial Freedom, is just hitting four years, and all of a sudden, I'm seeing these gains that are just off the charts. And it's I know we were talking before we started is we were both on Podmatch, and it's just crazy how that platform has helped. But this podcast is only seven months old, and I'm already doubling downloads and subscribers that I had at that same time with Chasing Financial Freedom. And it's just that consistent game, and you stick with it. 
it works. And these are my passion projects. My day job is developing affordable housing. I have affordable housing development, and then we actually have a nonprofit. And those are my day jobs, and these are my side hustles and my passions. And it's one thing I've learned from all these guests, and you just said the same thing, being consistent and sticking in there, and you'll win. Yeah, sometimes it's just outlasting people. I look at all the podcasts. I have screenshots from the first few weeks of when we launched the $100 MBA show and all the other podcasts that launched at the same time, the podcasts that were new and noteworthy, things like that. And I would say about 80% of them don't publish anymore. Like they don't exist anymore. Wow. Like the people that I feared in the beginning and oh God, they're going to crush me and all that kind of stuff. They just didn't out. They didn't stand the test of time. And in my opinion, it's more than just hanging in there so that you can have some sort of like success or ranking or whatever. It's more about, uh, I see this as a craft. I see this as like a martial art or I'm playing a sport. In order for me to be great, I need to give myself time to to get better and to step up to the mic every time and try to get better and improve. Along the years, I took improv classes and acting classes and public speaking classes and voice lessons and because I, I see that my voice, the podcaster, is my instrument as an artist speak, as a performer. And I need to do everything I can to make that a vehicle to get better and to be able to provide a great podcast. And most people think that's a little bit too much. But I feel like if I'm going to do something, I might as well just go all in and try to do it the best I can. Totally agree. I have to go in all the way. And the the funny thing about all that is you probably had some serious failures along the way and learn so much from those failures. But we as humans, for some reason, are hardwired for that instant gratification. And when failure comes, boom, we shut down and say, oh, sorry, I'm giving up. And it's so sad to see so many people give up on their dreams when they're just that, they're that far away. And you just have to keep going. Yeah. And I was there, Ryan, honestly, like that's exactly how I felt. I got some really good advice from my uncle, who is the person who gave me the, who opened the window or the door to entrepreneurship for me. He's the only person in my family that's oriented. And anytime he would come and visit me, he would give me a book to read. And the next time he'd visit, he would ask me, what do you think of the book? And we'd discuss the book. The first book he gave me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then after that was like, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale McCartney. Get the classics yeah. and I would discuss them. But one piece of advice he gave me is that, hey, if you fail, if you fall on your face, if, you, if things don't work out, uh, that's a sign you're on the right path. That's a sign that you are going through the rite of passage of entrepreneurship. And that was eye-opening for me because I thought, because, you know, as a teacher, as an educator, failure is something that's bad and you're just ingrained from schooling that you're not supposed to fail and you avoid failure as much as possible. But he just told me it's the opposite. Don't worry. Just see as a sign that, okay, you're going the right way. This is how it's supposed to be. This is the obstacles you have to go through in order for you to reach where you want to go. And I'm so glad he gave me that advice because it's very easy for you to be discouraged. It's very easy for you to be, see this, okay, maybe this is not for me. It's not working out. It's not coming easy. But anything that's hard, really, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to test you. And it's always worth your time if you keep on going through it. And I joke about it because I'm a two-time trier. I, I failed at entrepreneurship twice. I had 25 years in corporate America. And corporate America taught me to be fat and happy and didn't teach me how to fish. It really didn't. And I failed twice. And I literally went back with $100,000 in debt and had to reconfigure myself and understand where I wanted to go and how I was going to do it. 
And the one thing I found very early on when I wanted to restart and get into this business again, entrepreneurship, was I was missing one key aspect, a mentor, somebody I could depend on, somebody that can hold me accountable. I always thought I could do it on my own, and I never surrounded myself with people that elevated me. They were always my peer or equal. And I once I started doing that, I started learning a whole new craft and understanding what entrepreneurship really is like. Totally. Yeah. I hundred percent agree with that. When I transitioned into entrepreneurship, I wanted to be in an environment that pushed me because like you in education, as a teacher, if you think about a teacher's job or the workplace, the first day of work, they go there and everything is prescribed to them. Here's your schedule. Here's the classroom you're going to walk into. This is the curriculum you're going to teach from. These are the hours you're going to teach. This is your desk. Here's your business cards. Here's the book you're going to teach out of. Everything's given to you. So like, you just walk in and you just implement, right? And then you clock out at three o'clock, you clock out at the end of the year, and that's it. You shut your brain off. And one of the things I had to learn when I went to full-time entrepreneurship is, okay, every I need to do everything. A lot of my friends that are not in business, they ask me like, what is it like? I was like, you know, when you go to work and you have an office and they give you a phone and they give you a laptop and then they, they give you business cards and they tell you, you, know, you need to follow up on these leads or here's your goals for today. Is yeah. So I have to first create all of that for myself before I can get to work. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. So that's a good example. Of like when you jump into entrepreneurship, learning how to set it up for success and set up your, yourself so you have those habits. And one of the things I wanted to do is put myself in an environment that pushed me. And one of the things I did is I moved to New York City. It was a, always a dream of mine. I grew up in New York, but Long Island. And I wanted to move in, into the city because anybody who's in New York is chasing a dream. It's chasing after something they want. No one goes to New York to have a cushy lifestyle. No one goes there to react. It's not Palm Beach. It's somewhere where people are grinding and going after it. And yep. I wanted to be in that environment because I got to meet people. I learned from people. I realized what hard work really means and what it really means to create something in collaboration with other people and networking and the power of making friends and knowing the right people. I didn't understand that. And New York taught me that. I feel like if you could survive a couple of years in New York, I think everybody should live in New York at some point. If you could survive two years in New York or so, it's going to make you a better person. And you know, eventually I moved out and I, I set up my own life. But the point is that those two years are very informative for me because it allowed me to set up my mindset and my work ethic. And that's really, that's cool that you live two years in New York and you put yourself in that environment. What would you say the top two takeaways you would have from if someone decides that they're going to say, I'm going to put it, I'm going all in, moving to New York, I'm going to go chase my dreams, my hustle, whatever. What would be the top two things you would give them as tips to survive so and thrive? The thing is that when I mentioned, yeah, it's the first thing is when I mentioned the story, a lot of people are like, well, I can't up and leave. This is hard. Change my life. Like I got my family and it's all perspective. So like for me, moving to a new state is like not a big deal because my parents immigrated from Egypt to the States. They moved to a country where they didn't know the language. They didn't, America didn't even recognize their college degrees. So my mom had to do her university degree all over again. They had to learn how to figure out how to earn money and how to put food on the table and simple things like how do I get a haircut? Where do I get my driver's license? All this stuff. They have to learn all this new stuff and then survive and then learn, figure out how to be happy and raise a family and all that kind of stuff all in a second language. So this is where I'm coming from. So moving to another state, it seems like this is like a joke. This is so easy. Mm -hmm. So it's all perspective. And that's why I don't want to belittle anybody's feeling of this is going to be a huge leap. But you definitely, 
need to have a talk with somebody in your family, people that are around you, your spouse, maybe your kids or whatever, whoever is involved in your home life. And, and, and you have to sell the idea to them first. You're going to be like, hey, this is why I want to do this. These are the sacrifices we're going to make. This is the, the period of time that we're going to have to make these sacrifices. So that you have the people in your life on board because you're going to need the support. Because I always say business is as hard as it is. You need to set up the game so that it's in your favor of success as much as possible. You do everything you can to make sure that the cards are stacked in your favor. So one of those things is your support network, the people that you live with, the people that you spend time with. You need to make sure that they're on board and they're supporting you. Because for me, a lot of people say, okay, it's a major move, but I had to change everything. I I was a car guy. I sold my car and have a car. (laughs) I lived in a dungeon in New York, a one-bedroom studio on top of Mamoon's falafel. So my apartment smelled like falafel all the time. (laughs) I got around on the subway. I went to free co-working spaces. New York actually had free co-working spaces at the time. Companies like Wix and other startups, they would have free co-working spaces just so they, they could be exposed to new startups. I was just living on a budget. I lived across the street from the IFC, which is the Independent Film Center. And mm-hmm. I, we bought like a year pass, which was like 400 bucks. But then we got to go to movies every single night or every single weekend and free popcorns. And that's it. That was my entertainment budget for the year. That's it. I was trying <laughs> to make my runway last as long as possible. So there are sacrifices involved. So when you're making that jump, understand that you're going to make some sacrifices, that this is short term. The next few years are just a chance for you to rebuild. And I always use the metaphor of somebody who's becoming a doctor. You don't become a doctor instantly, right? It takes 10 years to be actually a doctor. Like undergrad, you got the medical school, you got your rotations. It takes about 10 years. And even after the 10 years, no one really wants you to operate on them until you have like another 10 years of experience. So as people that are changing careers, we have to be patient with ourselves a little bit and understand that I can't just be an instant success and be an amazing entrepreneur in six months. If it takes a doctor 10 years, why do we think it's going to take us one, one month or something to become... Gary Vaynerchuk or something. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Gary has been doing entrepreneurship for 20 years before he got on the scene. So yep. the point I'm trying to make here is that give yourself time to cultivate the skills and the confidence to become the entrepreneur you want to be. And it's amazing how many people don't heed that advice. They really think they're going to put up a TikTok. It's going to go viral and they're going to be a sensation. They're going to be overnight millionaires, blah, blah, blah. It's crazy that like I said earlier, we're hardwired for that short-term instant gratification, but it really takes long-term marathon, however you want to look at it, to actually be successful in not just business. How about life? I've got to keep have a personal family, personal marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, kids, family. The laundry. Yeah, everything. Yeah. It's just, I guess that's a question I want to throw back at you is like, I see on your website that you're doing some coaching too. What do most people come to you when they're talking about coaching and what are they trying to work on? And then what's your approach with them? Most entrepreneurs, I love this quote. I believe it was, I believe, I think it's from, I want to say the author of Hard Thing About Hard Things, Ben Horowitz, where he says, uh, most businesses die of indigestion and not starvation. And it's so true because most people that come to me they don't, they have so many options. They're like, oh, should I do this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And that lack of focus causes them to just paralyze or spread their efforts very thinly. And they think they need to be everywhere in order for them to be effective. And I'm a big believer that's just not possible. You can't be great at everything. 
that's never been the truth, you know, right? Uh, even the people that we admire, right? For example, like maybe great entrepreneurs, people that have invented huge things, whether it's on Musk's of the world or Jeff Bezos and whatever. These people, they're not great at everything. They're great at one thing and they focus on it, right? They're not all over TikTok and Facebook and every single platform. <laughs> they they just focus on one thing. That's it. Yeah. And they get become great at it. And if you look at any profession, a musician, an athlete, you know, somebody who's a, a great artist, what are they, they just focus on their craft and they outsource everything else if they have to. So my biggest challenge when I come to try to help other entrepreneurs is say, hey, listen, you have to make some hard choices. You got to find out where you can add the most value. So I give my example to them often. Listen, my thing is I love to teach. So that's why I use podcasting as my way to teach. I do podcasting and webinars. That's my thing, right? I'm not all over social media and I have my own reasons. Like I don't have the apps on my phone, things like that. And it has a lot to do with what you said earlier because of that instant gratification. These apps are designed to do that. The people that have designed them tell you this and it's not. It's not evil inherently. I'm not saying these people are bad people. I'm saying that's how it works. They need you to be on there so they can show you ads and make money. That's just the business model. So I don't want to train my brain to be impatient. And those apps are doing that. And I don't want to expose my brain to that. As an entrepreneur, as a leader of my company, my team is relying on me to have a long-term vision, to be able to make solid decisions that are not only going to impact today, but tomorrow and years after. Jason Fried says, it's easy to have a startup, but not a stay up. I want to have a stay up. I, just, I don't want to just start and have a great success. I want to be yeah. here for 20, 30, 40 years. I focus on the things that I believe in that are aligned with my values. And that's what I tell my clients to say, listen, you need to choose. You have, you're in this open buffet of options, right? Which one do you think you have the highest likelihood of success given your experience, your skills and go all in on that? Because there's a reason why I don't have a YouTube channel or I'm not very big on YouTube. It's just because if I want to be successful at podcasting, I have to realize that if I'm going to take time and effort and energy to become better at YouTube, then I'm taking away from, there's only a certain amount of hours in the day, right? So yeah. I choose to go all in on this. So everybody's got to make a choice. And that's the hard part. People don't want to make a choice, but that's what business is. Business is basically making decisions all day. That's what it is. The way Warren Buffett has become so rich is he says, my job is to make a few, two, he makes two or three key decisions a year. That's how he makes his money. And that's all really matters. Those decisions drive everything. And everybody else does all the work. But the point here is that as an entrepreneur, you're going to need to make hard decisions. And this is the first hard decision. It's like, where do I invest my time and energy that's going to give me the best return? And it's the only way you can do it because it, you boil down to, you find that aspect of what you're good at, and then you got to see what you can do with it and monetize it, or how does it make you money? And I'm with you on the social media. I hand that all off to a virtual assistant, and she handles all of it. I come record the podcast. I send it off to her. She handles it because at the end of the day, it's taking away focus from me going out and selling houses or buying land or working right. with a nonprofit. It's not – I say this loosely. It's not something I should be fiddling with during the day when I could be more productive and driving the business. And like you said, long-term vision, but also keeping the company going at the end of the yeah. day, I'm the face of it. So I got to make sure we're moving forward because everyone else is looking for us to move forward and continue to grow. And I see these people that reach out to me and the podcast has been a good medium. People reach out to me and say, Hey, how do you do this and do that? And it's a lot of them are just looking to do that one little thing for instant gratification and, and blow up. And it's guys, 
it's been eight years that I've been grinding this out and it's now starting to come to the forefront and things mm -hmm. are getting out there. But at the end of the day, I'm not spending all my days on social media. I'm focused on my business and focused on my podcast. It's my passion. I'm good at it. But that's what you have to understand is it doesn't, it doesn't happen one overnight and two, it's not going to happen with one or two videos. It has to happen over time and it's got to be something you're good at. And it's not just something, let me go put up. I keep on going back TikTok because I, before you came on, I was talking to a kid that reached out to me and he reached out through Facebook and he called me and he's, I've been putting Facebook videos out and they're not going anywhere. And I'm like, okay, how many videos you put out Four in a matter of a month? And I'm like, mm -hmm. what are you trying to do? He's a young, I think he was 18, 19. He's, he's something to do with cooking. I didn't watch them. I looked at one. I'm like, okay, I, we got to, we all start somewhere and you got to go there. But he thinks that those videos are going to make him money. And it's like, one, is this what you're passionate about? And he goes, yeah, I really enjoy cooking. Okay. Do you, are you in the business now? Are you working in the kitchen? Are you at a restaurant? What are you doing? Oh no. Um, I think he said he was working. Uh, what the heck was he doing? Working at a store, some type of supermarket. I'm like, why aren't you working in a restaurant? If you enjoy cooking, get yourself in the bottom, whether you have to be a dishwasher or not, you got to start mm -hmm. somewhere and prove to those people that you're worthy and you work your way up the list. And now it gives you the ability to learn cooking and start learning from people that you're working with. And he goes, yeah. why do I want to do that? I won't make any money. And I'm like, how bad do you want to be a chef? How bad do you want to be whatever you're trying to do? And he goes yeah. that, and then he started, he just got quiet. And I said, it sounds like you got to reevaluate what you want to do in life, but yeah, that's, it's tough. Life is tough. You got to keep grinding away. I think a lot of people, I think the thing that changes people's mind is when they start to realize everybody that I know that has the success, whatever I believe is success is, right. They tamed it through some sort of skill that they have acquired. And really, that's the pathway to get to where you want to go. Like in order for, let's just use another example, like sports, for example. If I wanted to be the next LeBron James, I have okay. to build the skills to become at LeBron's level in order for me to get the sponsorship deals and play in the NBA and get paid the millions of dollars. That's how he got there. Like he didn't just get there because he was, he tried a couple of things one or twice. He played basketball since he was able to walk, right? Yeah. So he's got years and years of skill building. So that's just one example. But the point is that what are the skills you need to attain in order to get to where you want is a better question to ask yourself. What, who do I have to become? How do I have to change? And this is why I love reading biography. Biographies teach you, oh, I have to eat glass for 20 years to be successful. It's not, that, that, that's what I learned from these biographies. When I read like Chew Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike, people don't realize he started out by selling somebody else's sneakers, Asics, basically. They're Asics now. He sold and he called the Blue Ribbon Sports. And it's, it's not even, he didn't invent a sneaker or have this flashy design. And he, he was losing money and bleeding. And before he even had the big moment where he signs Michael Jordan, Air Jordan, it's 20 years. It's 20 years yeah. of grinding and being in debt and living frugally and not sure if he's going to survive. And fighting legal battles and it's just when you read the biography you realize oh okay like this billion dollar company or multi-billion dollar company started out very humbly and that's really you have to realize that if now if you're not aspiring to be that big you just want to be like you know a seven-figure tiktoker or whatever it is <laughs> it's still going to take you time to to mm -hmm. produce the content that require 
that requires that kind of, or those skills that you need to have in order to attract that kind of monetization. Like sponsors are going to give money to something that is actually worth watching. Yeah. And and one of the things that living, living in New York has taught me is, yeah, people that are creating videos and things like that for YouTube, TikTok, they don't realize film, there's like hundreds of thousands of filmmakers just in New York trying to make it as a filmmaker, right? They're shooting for free. They're doing documentaries or out in the middle of the subway trying to make something happen. And they're investing their own money and then years and years. And they, and most of them won't make it. Most, most of yep. them won't make a movie that's actually going to make money. And especially now with the fact that it has to be this huge blockbuster or bust or it's got to be sold to Netflix. These independent movies are not really being made anymore. The point is that like the, when you look at these people, these are real filmmakers, right? That have the skills that went to film school that know what they're talking about. They know how to tear a narrative and they can make. So you're telling me you're going to shoot a few videos and you're going to just make it because you're on some platform. It doesn't work that way. That's not life. Yeah. And I guess the next question, or we can go down in the rabbit hole is the same thing as look, back to Gary V. Gary V talks about and talks about the grinding, talks about putting it out there, making sure, you know, you're consistent and go after your passion and don't come off as a know-it-all. But you would think more people would hear that and potentially let it resonate in their mind and say, okay, like you said, what do I need to do to change to get to where I need to go? But they don't. It just keeps on being more instant gratification. And you talked about it. Is it social media that's doing that to us? Is it or is it societal? Where when you're coaching wise, because I know you're dealing with this on entrepreneurs because mm-hmm. I see it too. I bet you're seeing that is how do you handle that is when they want that instant gratification. Where, did, where does that lead you and what's your approach? Yeah, that's a good question. I definitely think social media has a lot to do with it. And I, this is not to prove social media in any way, but it, it, the oh. fact of the matter is that people curate their lives on social media. It's not everything. You see mostly the good, not the bad. And because of that, we have a false understanding of truth. We think what we see is the truth, but that's just what people are putting out there. So... If you look, if we go back 20 years before social media was a thing and you thought about somebody who started a business, you, you don't, you, you, people didn't assume it was an overnight success. People assume that this took a long time and it was hard work. If they think of like Sam Walton who started Walmart, they think yeah. of Steve Jobs or whatever it is, whoever they're thinking of as an entrepreneur or even the mom and pop pizzeria down the street. Like they understand that took a lot of hard work, but because we're, as human beings, we have a short-term memory. We don't remember things back then. We Now we see what we see in front of us in the media and they celebrate like this startup raised $100 million with a $1.5 billion valuation. Th- those are the stories that get the attention. But with for every startup that raises that much, there's hundreds of thousands of startups that go out of business that yeah. they don't talk about. So th- that has a lot to do with it, I have to say. One of the things I got to say that I think earlier in Gary's career, he, he was really verbose about, okay, this is what we got to do. And you got to hustle, you got to work hard. And maybe it was to the extreme. I thought he got really practical recently with mm-hmm. his garage sale video. Oh yeah. Those people had to get on garage sales and all that stuff and, and buy things. And that's really practical, great practice because it's not sexy. It's not, they're not making millions of dollars. You're making whatever 50%, hundred percent profit on the product that they're making 20 bucks because you sold a beanie baby or something like that. But the point is that like, there's so many skills that people can learn. He doesn't need to learn these skills, but the point is that he's showing people like, hey, you can make money by just going to garage sales, flipping on eBay. You're going to learn how to negotiate. You're going to learn how to sell, how to market, all this stuff and build up those skills so then you can use that money to build your 
passion project. But the point is that you have to understand what business is all about. And that's a good sandbox to do it. It's uh, it's interesting because my I I grew up around that. My parents used to go to garage sales all the time, and it's like why they dragged me with them. Like why are we going to these? And my dad would be buying typically watches, and from mm-hmm. that point on, my dad has bought watches, and now has got into a point to where he's buying wrist watches and then also railroad watches, pocket watches from mm-hmm. the eighteen hundreds and so forth. And he's been flipping them for as long as I can remember. And it's okay. And then when I started seeing Gary do that, I was like, oh, okay. Now it's, it matches the two together. But it's it, very simple, very easy. You literally, I'm in Arizona and down the street, they just opened up a, a Goodwill. You could go right. down to Goodwill and you can go in there, walk in and there's clothes and there's Beanie Babies and there's board games, whatever. And it's marked down and you can get your phone out and go onto eBay like Gary does and look at it and make yourself some money. And people don't do that because it's work. It's sad. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite things that he says is that you got to fall in love with the process. You got to fall in love with the hard work because that's what most of it is. Most of it is not laying on the beach or sipping champagne. (laughs) Most of it, even the people that are crazy, insanely wealthy and successful, they're working all the time. Like Elon Musk sleeps on his, in his office because they're, they fell in love with the process of creating something and making something significant. But the point is that it's hard to start out in business. I'm not saying that this is like easy. And what I always try to tell the people I work with is um, that you're going through a process where you are changing. You have to change as a person, what you value, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, all that kind of stuff. That's major. Most people don't do that in a lifetime. They live their whole life. They die. They don't change, right? But this is, you have to understand that like in order for you to become or get the results you want, you have to become somebody, something different. And that's very hard to admit to yourself. Even like for myself, I'm transparent with my team. I say, listen, we all have to grow in order for the company to grow. If we want to achieve X, Y, Z goals, we have to be individuals that are able to make that happen. Who are the, so we had to change every single day and grow. And I, we talk about that in, as a team because in or, if you don't like to change and if you don't like to grow, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave you behind because we can't get dragged down if we want to keep on growing. And I say to them, hey, there's going to come a day, one day, I don't know when this is, where I'm not going to be able to do what the company needs to do. And one day I might have to step down and somebody else has got to do this job as CEO. That's hard for you to admit as a founder that like at some yeah. point I'm going to hit my capacity and yeah. I can either just stay here or if I want to do what's best for the company and my customers and my users and my teammates, I got to say, hey, listen, there's somebody better out there that can do this and take you guys to that next level. Here's this person. I'm going to have to step down. And that's the whole game. The whole game is you got to keep on trying to become better so that your company can become better. So your business can become better. And that's what I love about entrepreneurship. It forces you to become a better person. And at some point, I'm going to reach my capacity, and that's just human nature. And I got to be okay with it. Just like we all have to be okay with the fact that we're not going to live forever. Yeah. And we only get one shot at life, so why not live yeah. it to the fullest and go after what you're looking for? I mean, that, that, that's what boggles my mind when I talk to people. They're like, I'm too afraid, and they don't take on change, and they just have issues. And it's like, do you realize that at some point you, you've got X amount of days to live on this face of this earth? Oh, why not go after it? You know, Why not go after what you're happy, what makes you happy, your passion, whatever that is. And when you ask that question to some people, it's like 
it's they don't know what makes them happy. And it's like you got to sit down and figure that out first. And I don't know. Yeah. I'm approaching 50 in it. And in the last probably three to four years, I've really sat down and thought about what I want to do. What, how do I want to leave a legacy? Who do I want to make an impact with? And it changes and involves, but it has a core group is our yeah. mission for our home building is to go into cities and neighborhoods that have been left behind from private capital infusion and build where others won't build. And we will build houses. And that's the impact and the legacy I want to leave behind because most of these people never thought they could actually own a home that's more affordable than renting. Even with today's interest rates, there's other ways around it to make it work. We still will continue to go. We have a wait list of close to six months for people that want to buy houses. That's incredible, man. That's Love it. Work. It's, but it took me almost 10 years to figure that out. But yeah. it, that's where we're at today. And now I've got podcasts and they're part of my passion project. How else can I get my voice out there? How can I share your story with as many people as we can and inspire? And if we inspire one or two people, I'm happy. That's just where I'm at. I want to give back as much as I can. And it always comes back in fold, but it's more rewarding to me than anything. It's, it just makes me happy, man. It just, I want to see Hello. people succeed. It's, it's success, man. I'm not competing against you. I'm not competing against anybody else. I'm competing against myself. And that's where I hold myself accountable. Yeah, I have nieces and nephews that are in their early 20s. And sometimes they ask me, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I like or what I should go after, what my passion is. And I, my, my answer to them is like, okay, listen, first of all, don't beat yourself up because this is something that you don't get taught in school. You're not really wired to go after what you want. You usually just do what you have to, right? That's what we're trained to do. But one of the things that I highly recommend is as human beings, we are very good at identifying what we don't like and what we what the problems are in our life, right? We're good at identifying problems. When, even when something's messed up or we got to line that, got to fix that, there's a typo there. That's how our brains work. So one of the best things that I tell somebody who's young is say, hey, just do something. Go ahead and do stuff that you don't like. Because in that, go wash dishes, go work at a plantation or something, like go do something, pick fruit, whatever. The point is that like by doing things you don't like in the process, in that grind, you will, your brain is going to try to find a solution. Your brain subconsciously even think about, okay, I don't like this. What do I like, right? What are some things that I rather do in this moment? Because by doing nothing or by just pacifying yourself by being on the internet or just entertaining yourself or just <laughs> letting time pass, that's not going to do anything. You, you got to spin your wheels a little bit and, and, and try things you don't like. <laughs> and it, it's funny because I think there's a lot of merit to hard physical work because it forces, because the, your physical body is tired and you are actually forcing yourself like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. This hurts, right? Yeah. What is a solution to this problem? But when you're not hurting, it's easy for you not to solve the problem. It's easy for you to just forget about it. For sure. I remember my first job. I worked there for almost six years. I worked in a full service car washing gas station and washing cars was crappy. And that's what I, I did actually. I, my oh, dad was, yeah, my dad was in car sales. And every Saturday, at the age of 13, I would go to the dealership and wash cars at the wash bay. Used cars, new cars, loaner cars. And that, that's where I got my first spending money. That's cool. My dad was long time in auto finance and worked for GE Capital. And back in the day, they used to be a part owner of a Toyota dealership in Southern California. And I would go on Saturdays with him and watch him do his craft and do all that stuff. And I learned all that and then got into the car wash business. And now 
I'm thinking about getting back into the car wash business because the owners that I worked for back then are now selling their self-service car washes, which I like self-service. I don't like full service. And they're like, they called me out of the blue, out of nowhere. I hadn't talked to them in years. And they're like, are you interested in buying some of the car washes? We're getting out of the business. Shut the front door. I'll take a look at it, man, for sure. Mm -hmm. And just find a way to get it, make it happen. But it's crazy how things come around, but it's those first, like you said, that hard labor. I, I would come home all sweaty and stinky from washing cars all day and I'd be tired, but I always learned something from the day, whether I was interacting with somebody or how to fix something at the car wash. It was always some type of mental stimulus. And I was like, okay, I'm learning something. But at the time, I didn't know that it was going to translate into other things down the road. And I know we can't, we don't know that, but it still brought in, I shouldn't say brought in, it, it still allowed me to learn and start growing, even though I didn't know I was, but I was starting to learn a craft of management because I moved up very quickly and became a manager and went through that whole process. But the person that hired me and interviewed me to become a manager basically sat around and smoked cigarettes. So that was my role model. So I didn't do very good at first. So I had to learn how to talk to people and interact with them and manage them and not just be a manager. You got to be a leader. And that was some school of hard knocks when I first started out. Yeah, definitely. And just being part of an organization and, and just learning how business works. Like when I was in my dad's dealership, I was just like, when I, when the washway was closed, I would understand, okay, so my dad would talk to the customer and there was a finance manager and there was a sales manager and then there's the parts department. And I was like, okay, so obviously like when they buy the car, the, they're still making money on parts and service and all that kind of stuff. And how you see the same kind of customers coming in year after year and you just realize, okay, it's important to have that long-term view that I'm not just trying to sell a car today and that's it. I'm trying to make sure I service this person and take care of them years to come because they're going to need a new car four or five years from now and all that kind of stuff. Now people buy new cars even shorter every three years. Yeah. And they're up to their eyeballs in debt, but we don't need to go there. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother situation. With the podcast, as we get closer, we're wrapping up on time here. What would you say some major inflection points were for you during the growth of the podcast and some learning aspects while you've been growing the podcast? I'm going to back up a little bit because before the $100 MBA show podcast, I had a, another podcast that totally failed. And I learned a lot of hard lessons through that failure. I had an interview podcast where it, it interviewed other entrepreneurs and it didn't do so well. And I had to ask the hard question, like, number one, why didn't it do so well? Why on a good day would maybe get 300 downloads an episode? And I was like, okay, that's less than what I get on my blog. Maybe it's not worth my time, all that kind of stuff. Secondly, I had to get real. If I wanted to grow a big audience and I wanted to be a top business podcast and I wanted to be able to be an authority in the market when it comes to teaching people how to start a business, let me look at the top business podcasts in Apple Podcasts or iTunes at the time. And I looked at like Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss has got five New York Times bestsellers. Get real, Omar. How are you going to compete with this guy? <laughs> I looked at Jordan Harbinger, who has been podcasting before the iPhone. I looked at people like Jolly Dumas, who invented the daily podcast and basically was constantly on fire, right? Like I had to get real. Like, how am I going to really differentiate myself and actually be toe-to-toe -to -toe with them? And I realized that I'm not really leveraging my strengths. Like these guys, what, where can I compete? I, one thing I know for sure that I could do better than all of them is I could teach better because I have 13 years of teaching experience. I have a master's in education. I have multiple certificates in training and assessment. 
I know how to teach a lesson, right? And I could probably bet my life on the fact that I could do it better than everybody else that I just mentioned. And all due respect, they're fantastic at what they do. So I realized if I'm going to start, if I'm going to podcast, I should be teaching on this podcast. Why am I, why am I not doing that? And another kind of take was, this is just a message for everybody who's listening. Everything is a remix. Okay. Everything you see out there, you think is unique. Really? It's just somebody putting their own nuance in something that really exists. And for us, we saw language learning podcasts like Copy Break French and Copy Break Spanish, and it's daily lessons to learn how to speak French or Spanish or whatever language. And I thought, no one's really doing that for business. No one's actually giving people lessons every single day on how to improve their business so they can, like I said, stay in the game, keep moving, keep improving every single day. And I thought, okay, what if I created a podcast where I taught every day a business lesson? And a lot of this has to do with the fact that I just used the best thing I can use, my skills, my experience to put it to my advantage. And I created a podcast around that, branded it with the same brand name as our force, the hundred dollar MBA. And that really gave us a big advantage in terms of the trajectory of the business. Because as soon as we launched the podcast, it was different. People never saw, what is this? Not an interview. It's not a discussion. It's not banter. It's very no fluff. It's very like straight to the point. In the first minute, I tell them in today's lesson, you will learn X, Y, Z, you know, how to fire an employee, how to maximize your marketing dollars on social media. If you're going to run ads, things like that. So the point is, um, I wanted to make sure that it, it actually was changing the genre in some way in podcasts. That really helped. And I, when I looked at the other podcasts I mentioned, that's really what they did. They did something different. They zigged while everybody was zagging and that's why they stood out. And then when we launched the podcast, we were number one in New and Noteworthy for eight weeks straight. And I was like, okay, wow. this is great. But I knew that New and Noteworthy was like, gave us a lot of exposure. And after we're out of New and Noteworthy, there's a good chance we can just plummet. But we did okay after that. And we maintained and we started to grow. and. I remember the first few months we were getting like 5,000 downloads an episode, then 10,000 downloads an episode. So it was, we were getting really some momentum. And then the same year we launched in 2014, uh, we won Best of iTunes, which is uh, an award that a Apple gives out uh, to the top 20 podcasts. We, we wanted the same year Serial won it because Serial came out the same year. And to, for that, that really gave us a good propulsion because then we were on the homepage of Apple and it really helped us grow our audience. Uh, but that only has a shelf life. That only gives you so much. And I knew that. I was like, my job really is to just improve the show as much as possible every single episode. Because every new episode, every new listener that comes and listens to this episode, they're new to this. And they're going to be judging, should I continue to listen to this or subscribe to this podcast? And I need to, basically I'm auditioning for them. So I need to make sure that they get value out of it every episode, right? Because otherwise, because I don't know when somebody's going to start listening. That really put a lot of heat on my back to say, okay, you need to make sure that the quality of the podcast is great because now you have the traffic, you don't want to squander. So that's how we started the first year. And throughout the last eight years, we've tried a lot of different things. And a lot of people don't realize that I do a lot of marketing. I do a lot. I, my job is to create a quality product. But I need to make sure that people know about my product. And I say product, I'm talking about the podcast. Yes, it's free and people can listen to it. But I see it as I'm exchanging their attention and time for my product. So I wanted to make sure that people know about it. And this is why I try to take the time to be on your podcast and other podcasts so that they, people can learn about me. New audiences that never heard about my show or myself. This is why I sponsor other podcasts. I sponsor newsletters so that we get new listeners and new audience members 
And even older ones that forgot about us. Oh yeah, I forgot about the podcast. Let me re-engage them again. And that's a process. And I've learned that through my buddy, Jordan Harbinger, who's a very close friend of mine who runs the Jordan Harbinger show where, you know, he spent millions of dollars on marketing this podcast and it's podcast is huge. But the point is that you have to have a quality product. You have to market it just like any other product out there, whether it's a podcast or a t-shirt or mm -hmm. a software. Totally agree. And that's where I'm at is I have to decide how much more the next level that I want to go to it because I'm being torn in many directions. I've had a few advertisers or sponsors reach out and say, hey, we see you're climbing up the list, blah, blah, blah. Love to come on. And it's, I don't know if I'm ready for that yet because it's a time commitment. And I'm like you, I want to make sure I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to do it right the first time. So I'll keep on doing this. I'll keep on improving. I have guests like yourself come on that help out and just keep on grinding away and seeing what I can do. And then we'll see where it takes me. And that that's the best I can do. And I've started some advertising late last, it was early this year and it's helping also. So we'll see where that goes, but it's, these are passion projects and I enjoy right. them, but I would like to at some point take them to the next level, but I also need to be realistic with myself and know that I only have so many hours in the day and I've got to be able to stay focused on what pays the bills and people that depend on me. The podcast, my VA could probably, she's got enough other stuff to do. If I didn't do the podcast, she'll survive. She'll still get a paycheck. So she's not worried about it, but it's hard. I'm at that point. I'm in that middle spot now to where I'm not getting 50 or 25 downloads. I'm getting thousands of downloads per episode. And it's starting to add up pretty quickly and I'm getting more people reaching out and it's like, okay, I got to start, I got to do something with this. So I, what I'm trying to do is probably this month or next month, I've really got to sit down and just hammer out the numbers and figure out what I want to do and then make a decision. Yeah, totally. And I could just share what we did is definitely, I don't do this alone, this podcast. Like I, I we've slowly built the team around me and at this point, in order for us to to do what we're doing, we need these players. So the first thing we started with is just like you said, like an executive assistant, but we had one just dedicate to the podcast because we're a daily show or five days a yeah. week. So a lot more content being published. So our needs are a little bit more nuanced, but that person whose job was just to make sure that it all gets published and then gets marketed and all that kind of stuff. But then we started to say, okay, we got a full-time like editor and producer. Then we also got somebody who's going to help us with getting on other shows. And then we have somebody to make sure that we look at marketing opportunities, things like that. So we have about four or five people around me. So I can just focus on, like you said, the content. My job is to focus on the actual, I would say the outline of what I'm trying to discuss. And I make sure that I'm as concise as possible when I'm on the podcast and then I record. And once I record and I pass it to the team, they just make the magic happen. Otherwise this would not be possible. <laughs> it just, it would be impossible for me to be sustainable just because of the nature of the daily podcast, but it does help to have somebody who's fully responsible to, to make sure that the show gets marketed. And that's the next step. And I don't know if I'm ready for that next step yet. Mm -hmm. So that's something I have to play out and go there. But every single time I have a guest on, I try to bring my A game, have a great conversation, dig into those rabbit holes and see where that takes us. That's my voice. That's who I am. And if people oh. like it, great. If they don't, hey, so be it. I'm okay. I, I do take away from Gary V that, I tune out the highs and lows because I'm not worried about whether you like me or not. I'm just putting my voice out there. I'm just a human. If you like me, awesome. If you're not, awesome too. I'm good with it. So it's just like good advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's just life. Omar, it has been great. We've been almost on an hour. How can everybody get a hold of you before we wrap this up? Sure. If you're interested in learning more or subscribing to our podcast, just go to 100mba.net. 
there's some subscribe buttons there, or you can just find us on the uh, podcast app you're using right now, the $100 MBA show. There you can get daily business lessons every single day, five days a week, and get to know me a little bit more and get to know what we offer. If you're interested in running webinars or live courses, you should check out webinarninja.com. That's my software company. I'm not huge on social, uh, as I mentioned, but the one platform that maybe I check a little bit more often than others is Twitter. And my handle's at the Omar Home. So feel free to send me a message there. What about your coaching? Yeah. So on 100mba.net, you on the navigation, there's a coaching program we call Mission Control. I'm a big believer that really coaching, what you need to do is you need two things out of coaching. Really, you need accountability and you need somebody to steer in the right direction. I have found in my own experience of 20 years of having different coaches is that sometimes it's more work, right? It's more work than it is helping you. Like you got to watch all these videos and attend these meetings and be in these Facebook groups. And you just, you don't actually have time to focus on your business and make improvements. So what Mission Control is that it pulls all the unnecessary things out. And I coach via email with people and with voice messages to help them just be accountable. We have a dashboard where they track all their metrics and I put their feet to the fire and make sure that they actually do what they're supposed to be doing. And I steer them in the right direction and tell them this is, okay, keep, I see that you're working on something else. What about the thing we talked about to reach your goals at the end of the year? It's basically the essentials of coaching that you need without all the unnecessary meetings and Facebook groups and all that kind of stuff. So it's called Mission Control and you can find it at 100mba.net. Cool. Thank you for coming on the show. It's been an honor and I'm also truly blessed to have you on because I know you've got a busy schedule and you're on the other side of the world. So Thank you for coming on your Friday morning. Thank you, Ryan. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good one.